All right. Um, hopefully you found a handout in the back. I, I believe we've taken out at least one tree just in the, uh, in the handouts for today. There's quite a ream of paper back there. Uh, but hopefully that handout will be helpful to you. Uh, I, my name is Ben Hyman. I was way of introduction for any that I don't know. I'm one of the elders here at Mission Road Bible Church. Uh, it's nice to, I guess, meet you in this way. Um, so today we're going to be talking about mercy and grace. We're going to be talking about the attributes of God, specifically God's mercy and God's grace. Uh, as a reminder, we've been studying uh, God's attributes now for a better part of two, two and a half months. And uh, we've been looking primarily at the greatness of God. We've been looking at the attributes that describe God's greatness. We've been studying God's infinite nature, how he is vast, great, eternal, self-existent. He is holy. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. All of these attributes describe God and they help us understand God as someone who is far outside us, who is who's far greater, far uh, more amazing, more incomprehensible than we could even begin to think as finite creatures. And they help us as we're looking to grow in praising him for who he is. They, they help us in, in studying who he is so that we can magnify him, so that we can make him known to the nations. And we're going to be pivoting, as Adam talked about last week, we're starting to pivot towards the attributes that we've collated together as God's attributes of his goodness. So we've been talking about his greatness, and now we're going to be looking at his goodness. And, and holiness that Adam talked about last week is sort of a hinge uh, characteristic in that God is perfectly holy. God is holy in every way. Uh, and yet we know that we are also called to holiness. And so we started to get into some of the attributes that we, that we call the communicable attributes or the attributes of God that we um, can in some dim way, in some limited capacity, we can reflect. We can um, take part in those attributes where we can't take part in God's omniscience, right? We can't be all-knowing. By definition, we are not all-knowing. We are, we are limited. We are finite. God is infinite. But we can reflect his holiness. We can reflect his mercy. We can reflect his grace. And so also by way of reminder, remember that as we try to separate these attributes for the purposes of study, you, you can't separate God, right? You, you can't compartmentalize God to say, oh, this is the holiness aspect of God, and this is the merciful aspect of God, and this is the gracious aspect of God, right? God is altogether in one, encompassed in these things, and yet um, to study all of them in one Sunday morning would be um, impossible, so we've broken these up, and today we're going to be focusing on the attributes of mercy and grace. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. So for our time this morning, uh, you can see on the handout there are a ton of verse references uh, about God's grace and God's mercy, and, and frankly, um, I struggled somewhat with how am I going to bring all of these things together about God's grace and God's mercy. And um, so 
we have way more verses than we're ever going to have time to get through today. So I, this is one that we're going to turn to. We may turn to a couple of others. Um, others, I'm probably just going to have to read the verse and, and you can mark it on your outline and, and come back to it later. But I did want to look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 9 together because I find it fascinating that these two attributes, and there's a couple of other attributes listed here, but specifically these two attributes which I was tasked with uh, explaining today or um, sharing scripture on today are attributes that God himself described about himself when revealing himself to Moses. So if you'll remember in this passage in Exodus, uh, we've just come out of where the people of Israel have sinned by creating the idols, right? They've created calves that they worshipped and uh, they, they worshipped those calves and God's righteous anger burned against them for their sin of, of worshipping those calves. And, and God had said in, in chapter 32, I'm going to wipe them out. Um, and then Moses pleads with, the, with God and, and begs God to be merciful we're going to talk about more the definition of it, but he begs God to be merciful uh, with them, and God relents in wiping out the people of Israel. And then we see in Exodus 33, even though Moses has been regularly communicating with God, even though Moses is, is having these regular interactions with God, he pleads with God and asks God that he might reveal himself to him further, that he might show himself to Moses. And God basically says, um, I, I can't fully reveal myself to you because you'll, be, you'll, you'll die. Um, and so he's going to hide him in the cleft of a rock. But he does, and he does choose to reveal a part of himself, uh, show himself to Moses and, um, in some capacity. And we get this, this passage here in, in Exodus 34, uh, or yeah, Exodus 34, verse 5, where we see that that God is going to visually reveal himself to Moses, but he's also going to make a declaration of who he is to Moses. He's going to instruct Moses uh, more about who he is. Even though Moses has been having these ongoing, uh, rela- this ongoing relationship with God, they, they're meeting regularly in the, the tabernacle, the, and, and yet here in this passage we have this, this classic passage of God choosing to reveal to himself, something about himself for Moses, for the edification of the people, and ultimately for the edification of us, because it's included in God's scripture, right? Exodus 34, verse 5 says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. So the Lord um, interacts with Moses in this scene as Moses is standing on the mountain, um, and, and desiring to, to know the Lord on Mount Sinai. Um, and then it says, then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. So not only does the Lord go by him, but the Lord proclaims to him and says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the chil- their children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. God reveals himself. Yahweh reveals himself to Moses 
And he declares himself to be gracious, to be merciful, to be full of compassion. And that's really the testimony of Scripture, right? That's the testimony of God as he interacts with his people over and over. As you read the Old Testament, as you study the New Testament, you see God's people fall short over and over again. They fall short of God's glory. They fall short of following through on God's commands. They fall, they fall short of, of worshiping him as he is stated and put out for them to worship him. And yet he is gracious. He is compassionate in his response over and over to them, making uh, a means for them to be reconciled to himself. So that's what we are tasked with studying today is these two attributes that God himself, again, there's more in there, but these two specifically, God himself gave to Moses and said, this is who I am. I am gracious. I am merciful. And so we want to look at those uh, today and understand by God's grace more about that. So before we uh, dive in further, let me pray for our time and then we will get into define it, prove it, apply it. God, we are, um, we are grateful to be here this morning. We're grateful to um, have this opportunity to study your word together, Lord, by your grace and by your mercy. Reveal yourself to us through your word. Help us to understand these attributes of you more, um, more pronounced in our life, that we might apply it, that we might reflect these in how we interact with others. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Define it. Uh, it seems like a, you know, we're throwing the gauntlet down. Define it. I've given you a couple definitions in uh, your handout uh, on what is the definition of mercy and what is the definition of grace. Mercy, the abundant, this is from Matt Wehmeyer, the abundant goodness of God toward those in misery and distress and therefore in desperate need. The abundant goodness of God toward those in misery and distress and therefore in desperate need. Grace. The grace of God is God's goodness manifested toward the ill-deserving. It is unmerited favor. That, that phrase, unmerited favor, came up over and over as people were trying to define what is God's grace. Unmerited favor. That's, that's a key for us in this. I've included uh, Wayne Grudem's definitions from his systematic theology as well in your handout. He defines mercy as God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. So very similar to Matt Wehmeyer pointing to the element of suffering, of misery, of someone who is in need of compassion. That is where mercy is seen. He defines grace as God's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. So Andy Schneider calls it unmerited favor toward the ill-deserving. Wayne Grudem says God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. And we know from Scripture that that's, that's all of us, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and we are undeserving. We have a desperate need for our sin issue to be resolved and we can only find our source, our remedy for that in God and his grace. I've also included the definition of patience that Wayne Grudem gave in his, uh, in your handout as well because there seems to be a very close tie between these two attributes, mercy and grace of God, with God's patience. 
So Wayne Grudem defines patience as God's goodness and withholding the withholding of punishment toward those who sin over a period of time. And so when you think about sin and God's righteousness and his justice to be meted out towards sin. Um, oh, we're talking about sin and we already have people leaving. It's okay. No, she told me in advance that I should tease her about it when she left, so I'm just trying to follow through on my word. Um, patience. God's patience. We, we, are, we are beneficiaries of God's patience when it comes to grace, right? Because the minute we first sin, we are, we're condemned before God and worthy only of his judgment. And yet he was patient to abide with us uh, for us to have an opportunity to hear the gospel and by God's grace to respond to the gospel. So let's talk a little bit about, more about mercy Mercy, again, it's tied to suffering. It's tied to compassion, to those who are in in misery or distress. Mercy goes beyond just a weak sympathy or or pitying somebody. But uh, mercy, especially biblical mercy, talks about taking action. Uh, Mercy is seen in how we act to relieve suffering, how God acts to relieve suffering. Not a, not a running away from suffering, but a, a running towards suffering to, to help, to be a blessing. That's the compassion that we see in God, and that's a, the compassion that we're to demonstrate. It is, it is to be genuine and pure. It's to be untainted by sin. Like all of our um, actions, we know that all of our actions, if we if we search them, we have a tendency that our actions are, are tainted by our sin. And, and yet when we're living out God's mercy, when we're living uh, the way that, that he's called us to, we look at those selfish motives and we, um, we look to, to act in a way that isn't influenced by the selfish motives. Just checking quickly to make sure none of my kids are here. I don't think so. So I can say this. Um, my kids have a way of, of nagging me to get me to do something repeatedly asking over and over again. And when I, when, I, when I acquiesce and I show mercy to allow them to do whatever they're asking for, if I'm doing that out of a motivation where I'm just trying to not be bothered, not be pestered in it, that's not truly the mercy that we're talking about here, right? I'm not having mercy on them, uh, even if there's some sort of perceived need, dad, I really need to do this, dad, I really want to do this. Um, but that's just me acting out of my own selfishness. A, a true mercy is a genuine cons- concern, a genuine care for others, and it is not motivated by our own selfish desires. I just want to make sure they weren't here because they'll find out how effective the nagging is, and uh, then they probably will convict me of sin over it too. So, um, so what could what could be what could be examples of this? It could be providing material needs to someone who is in need, who is lacking in something. It might be providing someone shelter who's been affected by a natural disaster or a self-made disaster. It could be uh, expending time with somebody to care for what's going on, to sit with them as they uh, go through a difficult situation, to to bear a burden with them, to uh, experience a trial with them. Those are ways that we can reflect mercy and where we see God's mercy reflected in our life. So is is mercy or mercy and grace, are they the same thing? Well, there, there's obviously interrelationship there because in the scriptures, you very rarely find one mentioned without the other. 
I mean, maybe very rarely is a strong expression. They're frequently mentioned together. There's frequently mentioned both mercy and grace in the same verses. And so what differentiates mercy from grace? Well, mercy is, is having pity, compassion on someone who's in suffering. It's, it's giving them something uh, that they don't deserve, whereas grace is, giving, uh, is not giving what we do deserve. So mercy is giving what we don't deserve. Grace is, is not giving what we do deserve. Grace is, is God's favor. Ultimately, the, the, the clearest manifestation of grace is God's favor towards us who are, who are sinners, who are worthy only of his judgment. When he looks at us, he doesn't see us for who we really are. He sees us as he sees his son, who we've trusted in his sacrifice to be uh, our sacrifice for our sins, to make atonement for us, to, to purify us from our sin, and, and to clothe us uh, with Christ's righteousness. That, that is the ultimate manifestation of grace, because it's undeserved, right? You, grace, by definition, is not something you can work for or earn. If it is undeserved, you can't work for something that's undeserved, right? It is something that must be given. One writer said, and I think this was really helpful, we, we want mercy, but we need grace. We, we want mercy, but we need grace. We, we want to have our misery alleviated. We want to have um, our, our trial end. We want to have... Um, God exercised compassion with us, but we need grace. We, we must have grace because without grace, uh, we are not prepared to meet our maker. So that's um, the definition that we're going to go with for mercy and grace. And now we go into the section that has been affectionately dubbed, prove it. And, and again, I, I wrestled a little bit with this section because it's, it seems like for me, that God's mercy and God's grace is so self-evident in the scriptures that it was, it was sort of hard to go, well, what am I, what am I proving? Because it, it feels like God's mercy and God's grace are something that are just so clear in God's word. And yet, um, yet I was tasked with, with proving it. And so I want to look at various facets of God's mercy and God's grace from the scripture to, to show the clear, um, the clear teaching of that in the scripture, um, not only from God's testimony, but also the testimony of the saints. But also I want to look at God and, and affirm in our minds that God is the source and the dispenser of grace and mercy. And then finally, um, by God's grace, if we have time, we are going to look at God's, how, how grace and mercy are inextricably linked to salvation and sanctification of God's people. So the first point is the, the testimony of Scripture and God's grace and mercy. Uh, we've already talked about some of that, right? Um, not only does Scripture itself testify of it, but Scripture records God in meeting with Moses and in other places in Scripture as well as testifying of these two attributes and, the, and then and his possession of these attributes um, as being true, right? God, God testifies that he is gracious and mercy. We saw that here 
uh, in Exodus 34, um, the, Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, God says he is full of uh, grace and compassion. He could have listed any number of other attributes here. He, he lists a couple of other, but he, he could have gone into a long list of all of his attributes, and yet he starts that list to Moses with he's gracious and merciful. He's gracious and compassionate. So God testifies of his grace and of his compassion, but we also see the testimony of the saints. And, you know, frankly, there were just way too many references here. The psalmist regularly go and, and as they're reflecting on God, as they're, as they're in the midst of their trial, as they're looking to, to praise and to worship God, his grace and his mercy are so frequently mentioned. You can look at that list there. There's probably others. Those were just some that, that I found um, that talks about God's grace and God's mercy. It's all over Psalms. Uh, Psalm 86, 14 through 15. God, arrogant men have risen up against me. This is a prayer of David. And a gang of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. But you, Lord, this is, again, David pleading with the Lord. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in mercy and truth. Um, I have highlighted there, we, we probably don't have time to turn there, but Luke 1.50 uh, is, is Mary, after she finds out that she's pregnant with the Messiah, she looks at God and, and she says, your mercy, his mercy is from generation after generation towards those who fear him. So even in her reflection, in, in her Magnificat, she is reflecting on God's mercy and praising him for that. And I had to list Jonah just because I was talking to, to Emmeline, my oldest daughter, about what I was going to be teaching on. And we were talking about Jonah. And Jonah's like an interesting reference because Jonah talks about God's grace and mercy, but he, he almost puts it in a negative sense. He, he says, you know, I, I knew you were gracious and merciful, and that's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? Remember the story of Jonah is God says, go to Nineveh, preach my word uh, to them, tell them and call them to repentance. And Jonah, instead of going um, northeast to Nineveh, goes west and tries to hop on a boat or does hop on a boat uh, to go to Tarshish, which was, you know, far west away from where God was telling him to go. And you know the story of God um, orchestrates it such that, that Jonah ends up going to Nineveh. And what happens when Jonah preaches to the Ninevites? They repent, right? They hear the gospel, they repent, and Jonah is elated about it. No, actually he's not, right? Jonah is, is mad at God. He's frustrated with God. He, and he says in Jonah 4.2, he says, uh, then he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in anticipation of this, I fled to Tarshish. Since I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, and one who relents in disaster. Jonah says, I fled from your will for this very reason, because you're gracious and compassionate. He knew that was a characteristic of God. Uh, and I, I just found it fascinating that he, he brings it up as like a, uh, a negative. And yet we look at that as that is something to be praised about God. That is something to be worshiped about God. Uh, our testimony is that we should emulate these attributes of God in our life. Okay, uh, we haven't fallen too far behind yet. So we're moving on to 
um, God as declared um, the source and dispenser of grace and mercy. God is the, the source, the origin of grace and mercy. God, is, uh, God dispenses his grace and mercy under his own prerogative. And what I mean by that is God, God as the origin of grace and mercy is able to give grace and mercy to whom he pleases. Um, he dispenses it to whom he pleases, when he pleases, and he is um, not compelled at any point to, to dispense grace and mercy. We cannot compel God to uh, dispense grace and mercy, and yet um, he chooses to do so, and he, and he prescribes the manner in which he will, pers- he will give grace and mercy in the scripture. So first, we're going to look at the subcomponent of God as the origin of mercy and grace. The scripture calls God the originator of mercy and grace. He acts with mercy toward those who are suffering. We see that pattern over and over in scripture. I've given you some scripture references there, but we see that God is a merciful God. God is a God that looks with compassion on those who are suffering. And he, and he moves. He doesn't just look at them and pity them, but he takes action to alleviate suffering. He's said to be, um, to be mindful of the orphan and the, the widow. He cares for those that are neglected in society. He desires that they know uh, his compassion. All mercy, true mercy, flows through God. He is the originator. Um, I have a passage reference there. Uh, I think we might have time to go there. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. I want you to see God as the origin of grace and mercy, as the originator of grace and mercy. 1 Corinthians, oops, sorry, 2 Corinthians. I'm in first. Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He is the Father of mercies. He is the point of origin of mercies. He is the God of comfort. He, he's not just a God that pities, but he takes action to comfort those. And I love this because in verse four, it gets into the fact that this is a communicable attribute of God. This is something that we as who have trusted in Christ, who have, who've experienced God's mercy, God's grace, we are to emulate this. We are to also comfort, right? Just as our God is a God of comfort, the father of mercies, we are to comfort those who are in affliction. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4, 16. God is said to be um, the one that we are to go to to receive this. He is the, the source in that we as believers are called to approach him to, to find grace, to find mercy. In verse, uh, chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 16, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may find mercy or we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help in a time of need. Do you need mercy? Do you need grace? Where do you go to for that? Do you go to the world? Do you go to um, your, your neighbor? Do you go to your friend? Well, I mean, if your neighbor and your friend is a believer and they can point you to Christ, that, that might be a very helpful thing, right? But we as believers are to take our requests, take our positions and we, uh, petitions, and we are to go before God and, and ask him for these things. His, his throne is said to be the throne of grace. Where are we going to find grace? Well, we go to the throne of grace with confidence, which is mind-boggling. We could have a whole study about why a believer can have confidence to approach God the Father, the eternal God, the Lord over all things, and yet he entreats us to do so that we may receive mercy and find grace. He is the origin of mercy and grace. It's given of his volition. It's given of his volition. Uh, We're not going to turn to the Matthew 9 passage uh, and instead turn in Romans 9 but um, one of the references there's a lot of references there that that I would encourage you to look through uh, that talks about God uh, choosing to act and show mercy to whom he chooses to show mercy he's not compelled as I said he's not under any other sort of obligation to show mercy and grace but he does so of his own volition he volitionally shows mercy and grace. He chooses to dispense it. But I found it interesting, uh, Jesus is on the road in Matthew 9, and two blind men approach him, and they say, have mercy on us, son of David. What are they looking for? Well, they're, they're, they're looking for sight, and they come to, to Jesus, and they see him as one who is full of mercy, one who, who they're petitioning him based on the fact that he is merciful, have pity on them, have compassion. And Jesus heals them. He heals them and talks about their faith. But uh, Romans 9, Romans 9, uh, we, we don't have time to study all of this, but there's some key elements of this passage uh, that I'm going to read for you today. And you know what? Actually, I'm going to read a couple of snippets from the passage um, just because, uh, you know, we have a lot to get through today. But Romans 9, 14 says, uh, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. So Paul is articulating, look, um, God is perfectly just in all the things that he does. And yet we see in verse 15, uh, for he says, God says to Moses, I will have com- mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. God has mercy on whom he wills, and he has compassion and grace on whom he wills. We cannot compel God to act with mercy and grace, and yet he chooses to do so of his own volition. Uh, Skip down to verse 20. Um, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory." God is the potter. He has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he has compassion on whom he will have compassion. 
There's also a sense that God's mercy and God's grace, that there is a common element of that, that specifically when we talk about grace, and we're going to talk about it frequently in the next section where we're talking about the linkage between grace and salvation, but there is a common grace that God gives to men. There's a common mercy that God has for all men. Matthew 5, and 45 says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you so that you may prove yourself to be sons of your father who is in heaven for he, God, causes his son to, son as in S-U-N, not S-O-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This was an agrarian society. They no doubt understood the necessity of, of rain and sun for their crops. And if you, you see the pagan religions that are around the nation of Israel, you see how they have worshipped false gods to try to bring about rain and, and to, to uh, bring about growth in their harvest and, and all sorts of other things that they've worshipped false gods in that. And yet we see that God, the God of the universe, shows grace in that he allows the sun to shine not just on his favored ones, but he allows the sun to shine on everybody. He gives rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. So there's a, there's a common grace that God gives to all men that we see in Scripture. But in our final section here, we're going to see that this, there is an inextricable link between grace and mercy and God's salvation. Uh, the first subcomponent is spiritual deliverance and justification. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, or sorry, chapter 2, verse 4. Ephesians 2, verse 4, in this great passage that, that reminds us of where our hope in the gospel is found, mercy and grace, just listen for how mercy and grace are so accentuated within this passage. And they're linked to God's offer of salvation uh, to his creation. Ephesians 2, 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, he's moved by his love for us, and so he pities us. He is merciful towards us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, a dead man can't save himself, made us alive. Who made us alive? God made us alive. God saved us. God rescued us. God gave us new life. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Unmerited favor. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He saved us. He gave us new life. He raised us with Christ. He seated us with Christ in the ages to come to show the riches of his grace and kindness. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace is unmerited. You cannot earn grace. Um, we don't have time to look at it. I would encourage you to read that passage in Romans chapter 3. I already referenced one of those verses, Romans 3.23, which is pivotal to our understanding of our need for grace, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift 
by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We are sinners. We are deserving of God's wrath and we can't earn God's grace and yet he chooses to give it to us. He gives it to us as a gift, something we can't earn, something we can't work for, um, but God's grace is given to us through Christ, through the work of Christ, through Christ going to the cross, living a, a perfect life here on this earth, perfectly obedient to God in every way. He was perfect and able to pay for our sins, but being fully God, he could actually bear the weight of the sins of all men who would believe, and he did that. Not only did he do that, but he was raised on the third day, right? And is alive and making intercession for us today. We have been saved by grace. Grace is also said in the scriptures to enable our growth in godliness. I've given you some references uh, there as well, but I'm going to read for you Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14, uh, which really highlights God's grace and highlights God's expectation that because we have been recipients of his grace, that we will respond. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared. Here, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is personified as the grace of God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people and instructing us. Response to God's grace comes with instructions, comes with a response, comes with a, a, a life change, which we call sanctification, right? Which, which we by sanctification, we're talking about we're growing in holiness, like what Adam talked about last week. We're growing in Christ-likeness. We're growing in, in how we emulate uh, God to the world around us. Rick uh, is talking this morning about being a light to the world. So we are to do that, instructing us, in verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. We're to put off ungodliness. We're to put off worldly desires, and we're to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. We're to live sensibly, righteously, godly. We're to be looking, anticipating desiring for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. We've been redeemed and he purified us. So that is how his grace fuels us in our growth and godliness. And finally, we see uh, his grace is, is said to be what gives us gifts that we are to use within the church. First Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. How you use your gifts, how you've used what the Lord has given to you in service to the body is how you're said to be a good steward of the grace that God has given you. How are you stewarding God's grace? How are you stewarding the gifts which have been endowed to you because of faith, through faith, through grace, because you've had an encounter with God's grace and are changed and are different? How are you using those gifts in the church? Second Peter 1.3 for his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Everything that you need for life and godliness has been granted to you because you've been redeemed through Christ. 
our final section, and apologies for, for flying through there. There's a, a lot of other great scripture there that will encourage your heart if you read and study those. But how can we apply this? How can we, because God is merciful and gracious, and because he's demonstrated his mercy and grace to us, most, most specifically, most pronouncedly, um, if that's a word, in our response to the gospel, how are we to reflect that? How do we re- how do we apply this truth that our God is a God of mercy and a God of grace? Well, first, uh, I would encourage you to recall your position before God as you strive to reflect these attributes. We have to recall our position before God. If you want to show God's mercy and grace, you have to see yourself for the pitiable creature that you were prior to salvation and therefore have pity and reflect that uh, on others. That's not to say we're self-righteous, right? Far from it. We're supposed to be those that recognize that we are saved by grace. And because we are saved by grace, we are motivated um, to reflect Christ to others, to be a light to them, to be used in um, the process of, of calling them to the gospel or calling them to further sanctification for those who know the gospel. The second point of application, God acts uh, upon us by his grace, so we are also to be merciful. Matthew 5, 7, I, I have that there just because this passage so clearly or this text so clearly uh, says that. It says um, that we are to be uh, blessed are the merciful for they shall find mercy, right? We are to be merciful because God has been merciful to us. Mercy should be a characterization of our lives and how we interact with others. Third point I have down there is contemplate God's grace as a catalyst for good works, not as a means to earn his grace. We've talked about that several times this morning. If you have questions on that, I'm happy to to talk to you about what that means, um, that we can't earn God's grace and how do we receive this this grace of God. Uh, If I've been unclear, I I would love to, to talk to you more about that, but we can't earn God's favor But because we've been transformed, because we've been changed, we live and we move differently. God's grace is a catalyst for for a change in our life, a change in perspective, and change in how we use our time, talents, and energies. I left a quote there for you from John Frame from his uh, Doctrine of God book. Grace is not given based on good works, but it gives us the power to do good works. As believers in Christ, we don't do good works because we believe good works save us. We know they don't. But we do good works. Our good works are fueled by the grace that we've seen from God, experienced from God. And then finally, endeavor to imply mercy and grace, but do so with patience. I mentioned early on that um, I gave you John Groom's definition of patience um, because there is a clear linkage in Scripture with mercy and grace to patience. And if you've uh, tried to uh, live out God's mercy and grace in your life, you've probably seen that many situations arise that require patience. We're called over and over in the scripture to be patient. And so as we endeavor to apply God's grace and God's mercy in our life, as we endeavor to show and reflect God's grace and God's mercy in others, we have to we have to be patient and know that they're not always going to respond in our timetable. Uh, they're not always going to be, um, trials aren't always things that just 
pop up and we can quickly alleviate and they're gone. Sometimes you have to walk with a brother or sister in Christ in a trial for a long period of time. We have to be patient. We have to be patient to see Christ refined in ourselves and in others. Everything with patience. Again, another quote from John Frame here. One day all wrongs will be righted. God will punish all sin either by punishing the offender or by placing his sins on Jesus. But the final judgment is yet future. That too is a restraint on God's wrath. And that too is grace for God postpones judgment in order to give his people an opportunity to repent. God was patient with you. God was patient with me in our salvation. We deserved his wrath. We deserved justice. We we deserved his judgment. And yet he was patient. And so we too are called to be gracious and merciful to others and to do so with patience. Father, again, thank you for this time. I pray that um, it was an encouragement for our hearts today. Thank you that you are a God of mercy. You are a God of grace. Thank you for your grace and mercy in my life, Lord. I, I know my testimony is that I don't deserve it, that I am in desperate need of your grace, and I want your mercy, and I want to be a reflection of you to the world around me. So help us as we go forth this week to reflect and think upon your grace and your mercy, and may we uh, reflect that in how we interact with others. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.